introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. Welcome back to another episode of the Pocket Protectors Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. Happy days here again. Got the full crew, both of, two of, the smartest people on all of the internet. Back to talk football with me, talking Vikings, talking smart stuff. He wasn't here last time. We miss him, so we're going in a different order. Nick, my man. How you doing? How you been? I'm great. I'm great. That was a big win on Sunday. And it's funny how like we've had what like five or six blowout wins, and those are nice. But those last second like close victories, there's something about them that makes them feel like so much more satisfying when it's finally over, even though it's like a heart attack while it's on. So I'm still feeling that that high. Yes, indeed. We got to 100% flip the script from the other weekend before. And I've uh, almost completely forgotten about that debacle and Matt Moore and all of that sadness because of uh, all the wonderfulness that just happened for us. So that was fantastic. And my man, the good doctor, he came out the week before, said it with his chest, called Dallas Frauds. And then our team went in there and, uh, you know, made Eric right. So, my man, Eric, how you doing? How you been? And how did it feel to be able to go all in cheering for, uh, for the home team? This time around, I mean, it feels it feels really good just because, you know, you barely get a situation, you know, you rarely get a situation where you get to root for, you know, the team you grew up rooting for, uh, you know, professionally. Uh, And that was that was me uh, on Sunday night, just because, like I said, I I thought in Dallas's data, they were a little bit fraudulent. Uh, I think we talked about, you know, their linebackers weren't particularly good. I and, and I believe Kirk was I don't have the numbers in front of me but like 12 of 13 or something like that throwing at the linebackers for Dallas um you know the game plan was extremely good for Kevin Stefanski uh they stopped Zeke which again like was it was important to a certain degree but made Dak throw the ball a lot and then they got roasted in the passing game and then what's what's really sweet and again as as Vikings fans we don't always get this um was at the end of the game they won a game they probably shouldn't have won, uh, all all told. So, uh, you know, after years and years and years of watching them lose games they should win, uh, it's always good to have that flip uh, or script flipped. Um, uh, so that was great. Um, good job by Kirk Cousins. They didn't ask him to do as nearly as much as Dallas asked Dak Prescott to do, um, but he didn't make any mistakes. He didn't do anything uh, to to hurt the Vikings, and that was good. All right, so uh, let's 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 talk about that because you both uh, you both said the word, and uh, I'll start with you, Eric, because I know that that's something that you've been tracking you know throughout the season, but you've been looking at the scripted plays versus the you know the rest of the game and things like that, and that was one of the things that appeared to uh, to go the, in in the Vikings' favor in this game. We seemed to play well in in the scripted games and really put Dallas on their heels right away. I guess what was it that uh, that that you saw, and what did you know PFF have to say about how we did? You know, in the beginning versus, you know, the rest of the game. 
Well, it's really a tale of of differences in how they approached passing the football, right? It, against against Kansas City, it was pretty clear that they were trying to throw, you know, have a, a their normal offense throwing the ball to wide receivers. Uh, and, and when Thielen went out, they were sort of a fish out of water. Um, you know, Dalvin Cook had over 100 yards after the catch on Sunday. A lot of that was set up really nicely by screens uh, that were not just dump offs to Dalvin as it looked like in Kansas City, but actual passes designed to throw to him. Um, that came early. Then the red zone plays were extremely good. The Kyle Rudolph touchdowns, and, and that that's something that um, you know you really like seeing if you're a Vikings fan. Uh, but yeah, all told, this season the Vikings are averaging about two fifths of an expected point. Um, every time they drop back to pass in the first 15 plays and they are one of looks like seven teams to have a, a positive EPA on early, early game rushes, uh, which again, you know, most of the, I think there's only, you know, basically one or two teams in the entire NFL that during the course of a game are averaging more than zero EPA per run play. So they're doing extremely well. We saw Dallas start out really hot as an offense in terms of, you know, scripted plays, but you know now they're basically a negative EPA play, a negative EPA passing team uh, on unscripted plays, and just a slightly positive uh, EPA running team on scripted plays. So, and you saw that as well. That's how you get ahead fourteen nothing. Uh, and you know, it, try as Dallas might, it's difficult to get out of that uh, out of that stranglehold. That's awesome. And, and Nick, obviously, uh, you know, the timing of the first article, which is a fantastic article, everyone should check that article out, Nick writing about Stefanski and all the wonderful things that are going down to make this Vikings offense come. Uh, uh, obviously, you know, we weren't humming so well in the Kansas City game. Thielen went out. Offense didn't look the way that we would want it to. But uh, we turned things around, switched it up. Uh, and uh, what were you seeing when you were looking at things out there, Nick? And, and how much did the offense that we saw against Dallas uh, vary from, you know, the things that you were writing about when you were looking back over the earlier part of the season? Yeah, we're getting into a really interesting part of the season where teams kind of, by this point, have shown a lot of their cards on the table. So we kind of know uh, what Stefanski is offering. We kind of know the Kubiak scheme, the outside zone. We saw a couple plays that we've used before in the early parts of the game. We saw that throwback screen again. Uh, we saw a lot of the same running concepts, the sweeps that, you know, kind of confounded the Falcons early on. So sort of like reusing, we saw we saw that third and one toss, fake F fullback dive toss to Dalvin Cook. Um, so it's it's we're seeing a lot of this, the earlier stuff that worked again, but we're also seeing some new wrinkles as well. I thought um, it was really interesting how they sort of set up their run, their run uh, plays where they'll kind of line Kyle Rudolph off up as like a sniffer or H back, you know, on, outside the uh, the tackle, but behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and then, like, uh, Dalvin Cook in the backfield, but then, like, go three wide. Um, and they'll use, Irvin's, they'll use Irv Smith up as, like, the slot. So it's kind of a unique look, um, and it'll spread the field. They use that look in the in the red zone with, like, some split zone calls. So really interesting how they're sort of – what they're doing in the run game. Another really interesting thing I've, I've noticed them doing is they'll put the, the backs in motion immediately prior to the snap, which is – tough to deal with as a defense because usually when you put players in motion you can shift down and you know usually the tight end or the the offensive line obviously can't shift it's against the rules but like a fullback can shift immediately prior to the snap and the defensive line can be caught out of a gap because they don't have time to shift because the shift comes immediately prior to the snap so they're doing stuff like that or they'll do it on a passing play where 
they'll put Dalvin Cook in motion immediately prior to the snap, and it'll give him leverage and, and a head start on, you know, an arrow route to the flat or something. So um, some really interesting stuff. We saw some more explosive plays. We saw Dalvin Cook uh, pick up tons of yards after the catch because nobody could tackle him. We saw some really good run blocking um, from the whole team. So that was all really good, and it's nice to see it all starting to come together, and especially once we get towards the later end of the season where I think coaching matters even more because now, you know, Mike Zimmer kind of knows what every offense is going to do to him because we already know their play calls are. And now Stefanski, you know, people know what Stefanski is doing, but now he can throw on extra wrinkles and stuff. So it'll be, it's an interesting part of the season. I'm excited to see it going forward. Yeah, Eric. So a bit of the approach, I mean, you call out that uh, the, the Dallas's linebackers were, were something that could be exploited. And, and we obviously saw that in this game where, when you look at the uh, you know, the passing attack, and I'm just over here looking at uh, you know, Ben Baldwin's box score app on, on airyards.com. And, uh, I mean, our offense basically ran through Dalvin Cook and, like, the tight ends. Our, our wide receivers were somewhat of an afterthought in this game. Is this a sustainable way forward, or is this just 100%, in your opinion, something that was um, you know dictated by the matchup and this, the, the big advantage that we would have? You know, exploiting those Dallas linebackers from a coverage perspective. Yeah, I think generally speaking, you know, uh, Warren Sharp's mantra that running back passes are most efficient in football is not correct. I think it's based upon an old um, <clears throat> success rate metric that that is antiquated. However, um, you know, that is the way to get that is the way to get some value out of Dalvin Cook um, is to throw him the football because even even you know we saw him he had zero yards before contact against the uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead he had I can't remember if it's like you know three-fourths of his yards or whatever uh, against Dallas was also after contact so um, you know the run game is not always going to be the engine for Minnesota and even when it is it might even be somebody like Alexander Madison as a changeup to be more effective than Cook but in the passing game Cook can offer value especially against teams that don't have good linebackers um you know, can it be a sustainable method for Minnesota? I don't know. It's going to have to be because, you know, Thielen's probably not going to be healthy the rest of the year fully. Diggs is a player who I think, uh, you know, we all believe is really good. But as an only receiver on a team, we've seen the limitations of that, for example, when he was a rookie in 2015. Um, so, you know, I think incorporating more Irv Smith, we've seen him increasingly involved in the passing game. Uh, Kyle Rudolph uh, in the red zone, but also getting key first downs on you know stick routes and things like that. Uh, I think the Vikings can get a good offense. the The key is, as it always is, and we talked to you know our friend Flip Mozzie about this as well. When we talk about scheme, when we talk about um, play calling. It's about being efficient on early downs, and that was you know because on early downs you can call play action, you can be deceptive, you can throw to backs because. It's really hard to get a first down on third and ten throwing to a running back. It's pretty easy to have a successful play on first and ten throwing to a running back if you're being deceptive and the guy's Dalvin Cook. So uh, for me, it's all about how efficient Kirk could be throwing the football in early downs. And I think without wide receivers, it's it's going to be more difficult than normal, but it's not it's not completely uh, impossible. Awesome. Well, Nick, uh, talk to me about Kirk. Just, just to piggyback go ahead, on go that. Ahead, go ahead. Uh, I could talk about Kirk, but we really should give Stefanski and Kubia credit for the screen game they've been scheming because they have, uh, I think, by far the best screen game in terms of yards per play. And I think in terms of expected points added per play, too, they've just done exceptionally well. And, 
you know, if you look at it now with in hindsight, you think, well, of course, Dalvin Cook is so electric with the ball in his hands and guys like Bradbury, Elfline, O'Neal, they're really athletic and great at scraper climbing up to the second level and making blocks. But if you, you know, I had asked us in the preseason compared to like the Chiefs or anyone else, like where the Vikings would rank, I don't think anyone would have expected us to rank first. And it's it's not just the players, but it's also some really smart play designs um, from all sorts of different personnel that um, have been really effective. And that's great to see because we do it all the time and, and it seems to just always go for, you know, 10 plus yards. So that's awesome. As for Kirk Cousins, um, you know, I've, he's having a career year and we're not seeing the same amount of, say, big time throws as he had in Kirktober. Um, but we are, he's still not making mistakes. And, and that's encouraging because, you know, those are the things that I think are really stable and predictable as quarterbacks who don't make good mistakes who don't make mistakes and who throw the ball accurately. And I think Kirk Cousins year in and year out is somebody who throws the ball accurately um, and who doesn't make mistakes. So that's good to see. We've, we've seen a little bit of a drop off in terms of throwing downfield. Some of that is scheme. Some of that is defenses, you know, doing stuff schematically to take away that intermediate crosser um, on the, on the play action boots that we love to do. Um, but it would be nice to see him be a little bit more aggressive. There was a time where his average depth of target was, around the top in the league and now it's settled towards a little bit below average i think so you know that was our that was our mantra going into the season was aired out kirk and if there's one criticism i can make in this season where he's putting up mvp numbers even if he maybe doesn't have as as robust an mvp case as some of the other candidates is i would love to see him be airing it out a little bit more um and that was the kirk that we saw that you know led to kirk tober the offensive player of the month award we'd love to see that more um especially once Thielen gets back and the offense can be back at its full potential down the stretch. Yeah, so Eric, I guess one of the questions I had, because one of the things we have seen a bit more from, from Kirk in these last couple of games, even though he's not, you know, throwing the ball over all over the yard and, and putting up, you know, the great numbers or, or having the huge A dot, um, he seems to be doing a better job of, of grinding games out and not making, you know, the really big mistake. At least that's what it looks like when you're watching on, on TV. Do, do those things bear it out when you look at like his his turnover worthy plays? Because that was one of the points that that we made about Kirk early in the season was that um, he might not make as many mistakes as others, but when he did make mistakes, they yeah. were like really really bad mistakes. Is that still the case, or is that are those numbers starting to shift back to a place that should make us happier as Vikings fans? No, I, Kirk Cousins' turnover worthy play rate is one point eight this year, um, and his big time throw is four point eight. That's a really good, you know. Uh, ratio there um you know he and you know he's not making those big interceptions the way that he did last season the ones are getting run back for a touchdown which that sort of makes sense given the noise but no i mean the to to nick's point he's not being as aggressive anymore they're still averaging over a quarter of an epa per pass play which is awesome that's a you know one of the league's best um actually the league's best uh, uh, as my colleague tweeted out today um but He's he's not doing what he did a season ago, which is over clamping himself to avoid the ire of the head coach. So that's awesome. And, um, you know, I think the last couple of weeks, you know, we, we're starting to see the realization that our friend Josh Hermsmeyer had, which is that, you know, air yards are very much a receiver statistic. And so, you know, when Alex Smith is Tyreek Hill, oh, look at his air yards. Right. And, you know, when when Kirk has Thielen and Diggs, he's you know going to be more reticent to throw the ball downfield. When he only has Diggs and Ola B. C. Johnson and Laquan Treadwell, he's going to be a little bit more of an underneath guy. So 
Um, I don't know. I don't think there's anything process wise there to be concerned about. And, and frankly, we should be happy with, you know, the, the, the relative care he's taking with the football of late. Yeah. So, Eric, what do you make of the criticism? Because this is one of the things. And again, I get it as someone who, you know, when they announced that they would be going after Kirk Cousins, who wasn't 100 percent sold on the move. Um, who still thinks of Kirk Cousins as, you know, an above average quarterback, but not an elite one, one who, you know, needs a lot of help, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What do you make of the criticism that um yeah, Kirk is being, you know, carried by the 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 surroundings or everything that's going around him, or it's the scheme and, and it's everything else. Um and it's not necessarily Kirk Cousins and that um given, you know, what we know about him in the past and his priors, et cetera, et cetera, that like at some point he's just gonna turn into a pumpkin. Like, what do you make of that? And is there anything, I guess, or any underlying numbers that we that, that might be showing that Kirk Cousins' performance year to date is is something that is is fluky or that, you know, he's going to turn into a, you know, a pumpkin at the absolute wrong time for us? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the hard part is that coaching is pretty unstable, you know, so, you know, Kellen Moore is the talk of the town for the first, you know, so, you know, first three weeks of the season and for reasons that we don't understand. It, you know, is not anymore. Um, and so, you know, one week Stefanski's brilliant as a play caller. And then against Kansas City, everybody wants, you know, him shot to the ground. Right. And, and so because I think a lot of the success for Kirk is the fact that they're building an offense around him that is, you know, very conducive to his strengths. When that goes away, what happens to Kirk? You know, that to me is the unstable part of this whole situation is what happens to Kirk if the offense isn't built brilliantly around him and you know i have no reason to believe that process wise stefanski and kubiak will lose their fastball at any any moment in time um but we know that that happens periodically you know, sean mcveigh for example uh can't seem to get jared goff you know uh above an 80 you know passer rating on a game-to-game basis um you know so that's that's my only concern is that maybe you know coaching catches up to you know, the, the coaching regresses to the mean, and then we're left with Kirk Cousins kind of in the way that we had him last season, which is sort of having to do a lot of stuff by himself and failing. And anyone out there listening to this podcast, if you think Jared Goff is better than Kirk Cousins, I just want to tell you that you are wrong. <laughs> I mean, the, the interesting thing is, I don't know if we talked about this on our on your, on this show, but we certainly approached the topic of trading Jared Goff, you know, and it, it before this contract because um you know there are quarterbacks that are good enough to to do what Goff's done and then there are quarterbacks that are good enough to do what Russell Wilson's done and the hard part is telling the difference and you know the big I'll give I'll give Goff or Wilson's contract to Wilson any day of the week and it's becoming pretty clear now that the Rams are kind of stuck with with Jared Goff now um and, and Unless things fundamentally improve, it's going to be tough, and that's really the that's really the question the Vikings have. This you know, not maybe this coming off season, but the following is, you know, is Kirk Cousins in the golf category or is he in the Wilson category? And that's actually something that that's funny because Nick and I were talking a little bit before we started recording. Is like the Rams are a bit of a cautionary tale in that you know they obviously they spent all the money on Goff, who is very much a passenger. He's not really the driver of that car. Uh, then you have, you know, Todd Gurley, who isn't, or well, I guess before injuries really set in, was an amazing talent, but they gave him all the money. He resets the market. How's he doing so far season to date? 
And then, you know, Brandon Cooks, you know, he had the injury. They gave him all that money. But really what you're starting to see is that, you know, that team was a team that very much needed uh, the offensive line to be the engine on offense, to really set up the, you know, the wide zone running scheme and everything that they wanted to do and all the action that they wanted to run off of that. And with their offensive line falling apart, because it's the one place that they had to kind of go maybe a little bit more bargain basement because of all the money they'd spent everywhere else, their team is no longer able to do the things that they want to do. and. I'm sure Sean McVay is still a very good coach. He just doesn't have the players that are able to execute at the way that they were before. And and Jared Goff no longer has that perfect environment. And the Rams very well likely will miss the playoffs this year. So uh, it'll be interesting, given that the Vikings are already over next year's salary cap, to see how uh, we're able to make those decisions going into next year to continue to position this team to be successful and to build off the successes that we're seeing this season. Yeah, yeah. The the that's it. The, the Dalvin last thing Cook thing to... is tough because whenever we oh, look ahead. at Dalvin Cook, we see something that's pretty indestructible, right? I mean, he's awesome, but Rams fans probably thought the same thing of Gurley. Dallas fans probably thought the same thing of Zeke. Cardinals fans probably thought the same thing of David Johnson, right? Like this. This is a song. This is the song that never ends. And and the, I, I think the thing is, I think the fact that this year, Dalvin Cook is considered by most to be the best running back in the league, whereas last year, really probably no one other than Vikings fans was saying that thing, goes to show, it's the point almost. It kind of proves the point that like it is the surroundings. Like Dalvin Cook has been an amazing talent since he came in the league, but his talents didn't matter until the surroundings were very good. And we just don't know if those are going to stay as good as you move forward. So it'll be an interesting thing to see. Cause I mean, I feel like we, we all know they're going to pay him. <laughs> like They're, they're going to give him, yeah. they're going to pay him all the money. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Every team thinks that they found the one exception to the rule, right? That's always the, and that's why they always draft the Bortles is the Gabberts, the, you know, and they all think that they've found they all think they've found the answer to a question that's been really hard to to to, to solve. Yeah, generational talent Zeke Elliott with a minus five point nine total EPA in that game. You hate to, you hate <laughs> to see a team so so willing to dump expected points all over the field. Yeah, it's uh, that's terrible. So the last thing I wanted to talk to you gentlemen about, and we can make this quick. Don't have to have this go all night, but it was a topic that ran wild through the timeline just the other night. And so, Eric, you were pulled into, a, I feel like, a couple conversations about this. And uh, momentum. Uh, in sports, is this a thing? Because, you know, Ben being Ben, and it tweeted out, of course, we can't see the numbers. It's something that doesn't exist. And, you know, obviously, there's the old school <laughs> folks who are like, of course, momentum exists. Athletes are people. They have emotions. Emotions are a real thing, which, of course, yes, they are. But um, I guess, what are your thoughts on this whole momentum discussion? I feel like I know what side of the debate you're on. But, uh, yeah, help me out here, I guess. Frame the, the conversation for me and, and let us know your argument uh, here on the podcast where you have more than, you know, 280 characters at a time. I mean, the problem with momentum is that you can't, like – you can't prove momentum doesn't exist, right? And that's like, you know, what people will, like, it's it's sort of this trap you get, you get put into a lot, which is, you know, I think it's true and you can't tell me it's not true. And, you know, we're in, 
we're in sports, right? Sports are supposed to be fun. Far be it from me to try to spoil your what you think is true about football, right? Like 100%, right? And and if you watch Monday Night Football, a lot of people believe that momentum exists. I mean, but to our to our ability so far, like we have not been able to identify define properly a, a momentum metric that has been predictive. And part of that is the difficulty in assignment, but part of that is maybe that it just doesn't exist, right? I mean, the null hypothesis for an explanation is that the thing doesn't exist. And so until you reject that hypo- that null hypothesis, like that's what we have to go off of, right? Um, and, and there are, <laughs> yeah, and that's how science is done. And, you know, football is sort of in the early stages, but we've done a lot of things like that, right? The null hypothesis is that play action is not affected by how good the run game is, right? And so far, every single study we've done has shown absolutely no evidence for the alternative hypothesis that it does, right? And now, and again, like we can get in this argument about the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence, but um, un- until until we we find some, then we're m- far more likely to try to make predictions, try to say smart things about the game we love. Um, based on things that we know exist and know or have have meaning have meaning and that and that's kind of where i stand on it it's and and again like people get offended so this is my biggest issue with people analytics twitter versus non-analytics twitter people get offended when like people like ben like to troll people and stuff and i'll come back to this this thing again football is an entertainment business this is supposed to be fun like there's no like we're we're on twitter goofing off with each other because it's fun you know what i'm saying so I understand why people sometimes get offended with their favorite team is digged or their favorite uh, broadcaster is dinged or whatever. But ultimately, we're all just trying to have fun. And I think the momentum thing is a funny thing because it's pointed out so much and yet there's so little in the way of evidence that it exists. Yeah. And so I guess just to frame it, because one of the things I guess the way you talk about momentum is that like, so a player makes a good play and then maybe another good play happens and it's like, okay, they're rolling now. The team's feeling good. So when you look at it, I guess, Eric, is there any evidence to suggest that like if I make a couple of good plays that those good plays are then going to have me continue to play well once you've controlled for like which team is actually better than the other team and those sorts of things like is there any evidence that that shows that like if I make a couple good plays now that I'm more likely to make more good plays than I would have already made based on my skill level later on in the game like uh, because that's what people seem to think, or it's like, or you get like on a hot streak in basketball, which is something just talked about, where maybe there is a bit of evidence that that can happen. Like, I guess, help me understand how this has maybe been looked at to, to get us to a point where um, you know, folks in the analytics community are as uh, not certain that it doesn't exist, but certain that it hasn't been proven to exist uh, so far. Well, yeah, I think there have been there have been some psychological studies on you know, sort of how players feel, you know, they're sort of like, I think there was the one on the, basically how their heart rhythm changed depending upon how they started scoring uh, in basketball early. Um, And I can't remember if there was evidence to suggest that there was, you know, something there, there, but again, like a lot of times we perceive things to be true when, you know, when they're not. And, 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 you know, so even if like, even if I feel better shooting a three-point shot after I've made three in a row, like you still have to look at the data and say, are am I more likely than the base rate? And so the only study that I've seen that that basically you know gave some evidence to the hot hand made no prior assumption on the base rate, and then sort of went backwards, sort of post hoc, 
And it, it the argument left me unconvinced. So, um, so right now it just doesn't look like there's, it doesn't look like these things are, um, you know, that, that, that they, you know, that there's any evidence for it. And, and so as such, we can continue to look for it. And I, and I looked in quarterback play, you know, if you look at like a, his grade for the last like and you know five to ten throws is it predictive of his you know his last throw and it just wasn't i mean there were some quarterbacks that had more momentum than others or less momentum than others but ultimately speaking like as a whole it was just not particularly predictive and you know and by and biased by all the small sample size things right so like take for it for example let's say you know the the vikings get ahead 14 nothing against dallas and Dallas comes back and scores. They scored the next, I believe, what twenty out of the next twenty-three points or something like that. Well, did that happen because they had momentum, or did that happen because they were better than the Vikings? You know, like you actually have to ask that question. Did the Steelers have momentum against the Dolphins when they went twenty-seven zero on them after starting off fourteen? Well, my explanation is just that they're better than the Dolphins, and you know, the first fourteen points is just noise, and the last twenty-seven is them just being better than the Dolphins and a little noise in their direction, right? So it's a really hard problem because there are a lot of different explanations, and I think more more explanations carry weight than, oh, momentum. Fair. Nick, anything you want to add to bring us home on the topic of momentum? I think it's something that, you know, if you've played sports at any level, you can definitely feel it, and that feeling is real. But at the end of the day, you need to find something that you can test that is predictive. And with momentum, there isn't yet. And uh, it's not that there isn't there hasn't been a lack of trying. We've tried to measure it in a lot of ways. We just haven't. So uh, I so far, I do, uh, I do find the, the evidence persuasive that it isn't... Um, something that shows up in the results on the field. But it's definitely something that you can feel, even as a fan, you can feel it, you know, when a, when a big swing play happens. You can feel like, oh, they're coming on now. And, and that feeling can be very real. And so it can be difficult to grapple with the fact that it feels like, you know, the, the tide is turning or, or they're coming back or they're mounting a comeback. Um, but uh, the end results suggest that uh, those feelings well, you, don't you bring up a great point about the feeling. The and, and I'll, you know... Um... This this person just got hired as the manager of the San Francisco Giants, Gabe Kapler. When he was on uh, Mackie and Judd on on 1500, he was talking about how he was you know going to put analytics sort of at the forefront of the Dodgers when he was you know uh, one of their upper management people. And he was talking about when he played for the Tampa Bay Rays, um, one of the analytics people came downstairs and told him to stop swinging so much at high fastballs. And he argued that well, I feel most comfortable swinging at high fastballs. And they showed him the data that said he was horrible at it. And it, it, again, it sort of goes to this issue of, you know, I think, I think that this is real versus, you know, it versus like, what does actually the data say? Uh, and we've often been fooled by something feeling. I mean, obviously when we eat food, right? Like the food that tastes the best and feels the best to us is not the most healthy, for example. So um, that's just something to keep in mind is that like, yeah, I, th- I agree with Nick that we can totally feel when you're, you know, when, when you don't think you can do any wrong on a, on a, a, you know, in a competition, but it doesn't always mean uh, that, that the outcomes are going to follow suit. There it is. There it is. So uh, I think we covered all the things we needed to cover on this one. Uh, Talked about some plays, talked about Kirk, talked about the team, talked about Ray's floor, talked about 
what the offense looked like and what it should look like when Thielen gets back. We talked about momentum. Threw in a little Jared Goff for you. I don't know why, but we just did that because, you know, I like talking smack about Jared Goff every now and again. Because <laughs> we're, we're still worried about Kirk Cousins, and that's the cautionary tale. Yeah, I mean, they are the cautionary tale. And, uh, and yeah. For, great, for brilliant is, young offensive minds as well. Yes, yes, yes. There so uh, there it it's is. It's a lot of boxes. <laughs> well, gentlemen, as always, uh, thanks for, for, for coming on and recording. Nick, thanks for coming on and recording while you're riding in the car on the way home. Doing it the way it's supposed to be done. We're going to send this tape to Saxy Prince to let him know how you record a podcast while you're in the car <laughs> so that people can hear you. We're going to check yeah, this tape. We're going to run it back. We're going to get it right for climbing the pocket. And, uh, you know, Eric, thanks for taking a break from the Maction to come on and record with me. It was uh, it was lots of fun. Look, man, Toledo <laughs> minus two and a half needs to get it going here. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, that's it. Listeners, thanks for listening. And, uh, yeah, we will talk to you soon. Have a good one. <laughs>